There are very few things that investors can do that are free. But what about a podcast that delivers educational content on investing, saving strategies, financial planning, topical items of interest, and maybe even the odd wacky topic? Welcome to Free Lunch. Hosted by Greg Kremitsky and Colin Andrews of the CM Group at CIBC Wood Gundy, Free Lunch will bring listeners the firm's vast knowledge and experience in dealing with uncertainty to help clients achieve their vision through a deep understanding of what is important to them that requires planning, money, and time. Learn more and subscribe today at markets-work.com. Welcome back to the Free Lunch Podcast. Greg, the only free lunch out there than perhaps asset allocation and diversification, right as we've said many times, is this podcast. You bet. So we've had a lot of people asking us about things like the stock markets and bond markets these days, probably rightly so, given the volatility that's been out there for, I don't know, nine, all going on 10 months, right? That's right. Makes sense. And part of what we do is we continually try to improve the offering for our clients is by doing things like due diligence trips and due diligence meetings. And as you know, Greg, recently I attended Future Proof, a wealth conference slash festival in Huntington Beach. So jealous. It was really good. It was really good. And while I was there, I met one of the attendees and I don't know, I just felt like I should know this guy. He just seemed like a really good guy to get to know. So that's who we're interviewing today, Greg. Great. So his name is Dr. Joel Simmons. Dr. Simmons was born and raised in Columbus, Ohio, graduated from Kent State University and Northeast Ohio Medical University, completed an internal medicine internship at Mount Carmel West and Radiation Oncology Residency at the University of Iowa. So it sounds like this guy knows quite a few things, Greg. I would think. He is a board-certified radiation oncologist. He holds seven active state medical licenses and continues to staff various oncology clinics throughout the country. But Greg, this is not his area of expertise right now. Okay. So I want to introduce our audience to Dr. Joel Simmons. I want to say first before we hear from him that the highlight of his career is probably being a guest spot on the Free Lunch Podcast. So Joel, welcome to the Free Lunch Podcast. Appreciate you guys having me. It's a fantastic intro there. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, Joel, let's kick off maybe by just tell us, how did you end up where you are today? What was the trajectory? Oh, boy. How much time is this? <laughs> <laughs> Take as much time as you need. Probably the start is in the path to medicine, I guess. And so kind of I always tell people I was kind of brainwashed. My mom just said, you're going to be a doctor and right. <laughs> time to try to figure out what you're going to do. And I was like, okay, that's it. So I actually entered a BSMD program, which they either have changed the approach nowadays or they're just not along anymore. But you essentially get accepted to undergraduate school and medical school as you graduate high school. Oh, Not only was it combined, but it was accelerated. So instead of the traditional four years, four years, it was two to three years, then your four years. And so it just kind of was like this intense, compact, expeditious approach to get to that end goal. And so that was a little different, that experience. And so I went through that. And then kind of, as you said in the bio, you do your internship, you do your residency, practiced as a radiation oncologist for 10 years. The very last job I had, it just did not end well. It was kind of like a one and done scenario. And around that same time that that occurred, state of Ohio passed medical marijuana. I had been investing in real estate for about 10 years up until that point. And I had my eye on a doctor's office that was in the same area where I was purchasing apartment buildings. And it was just like the perfect storm all came together. Here I am leaving this job, just very unsatisfied, kind of pushed out the door. Here's this clinic here's this opportunity for medical marijuana. And it was just like, boom, it all came together. And so that kind of brings me up to where we're at. 
So tell us about medical marijuana. What is the application? What's the science? What do people experience? Tell us about how that works. That's a big question, Greg. Well, <laughs> hey, we've, we've got 20 minutes. <laughs> I used to give this talk, and one of the slides I would put up is show Dr. Dre, and he's sitting in front of his production board with all the little buttons. And Dr. Dre's classic album is called The Chronic. And so here you got this super mega producer puts out a marijuana-themed album, and here he is sitting in front of this massive production board with all these knobs that twist and turn. But I think it's a great analogy because I feel like that's what, for the most part, marijuana is going to do. So it's kind of like that gain control where some people are kind of at a low level and they need to be tweaked up a bit, and some people are at this ultra-high level and they need to be tweaked down a bit. And that's kind of how I describe what medical marijuana does. It kind of helps you add that extra control. It's kind of like the dimmer switch at your house. There's one that's off, but then you put on that dimmer switch and you can kind of get your setting to the right level there. I feel like that's what medical marijuana does for a multitude of conditions. So let's talk, what are some of the conditions that you find it most beneficial for? So in Ohio, the state has passed what we're up to now. After the initial 20 conditions or so, I think they added three or more that really fell in under our original 20. But there's certain conditions that the state says it's okay to use it for. Now, those aren't necessarily the conditions that people use it for, but you have to have one of the diagnoses that the state approves, and then you can get your medical marijuana card. So in Ohio, two-thirds of the folks fall in under chronic pain, and then the next most common is going to be PTSD. And then everything else falls in after that for like the last 15%. Now, what do people most commonly use it for? Number one and number two, I still can't not exactly sure they're like neck and neck is anxiety relief and sleep. That's what people really use it for. Okay. So your background was in radiation oncology and is it the pain angle of cancer patients? How does that fit in? Yeah, that's what got me more interested. So before I even got into this, I was over actually practicing in Illinois and they had just passed it. I'd be checking weekly. When can I get my certificate to recommend to help my cancer patients out. And it had nothing to do with being an entrepreneur or anything. I was an employee at a hospital just wanting to have another way to help patients. And so that's kind of what kicked off the interest, but then it kind of went a whole other direction with actually being able to have my own business, my own clinic and do things that way. So yes, I'm always excited when I get referred a cancer patient because that's kind of what I was trained to do, but that's not the majority of folks who I see. Hey, Joel, let me ask you this. In Canada, it's legalized. So I know in the U.S. it's different state to state as far as legal application. So it's a relatively new marketplace. Well, at least from a legal perspective, it's probably a very old marketplace from a black market perspective. That's right. But to me, there seems to be a lot of information or misinformation or unknown information out there. So if I go down the street in Calgary, Alberta, I can walk into a what would it be called, Greg, a store, a cannabis store. And there's a whole laundry list of items that you can choose from. And to me, I feel like it would be overwhelming to somebody that doesn't have a background in it. So how do people become educated on the appropriate use of medical marijuana for their own reasons? That's a great question. I think having a medical program is a great introduction for people. And I think if we're talking about the medical aspect, I think it's a huge need. And that's kind of my role and purpose is at least you get overwhelmed, but at least to kind of start you out with, here's how I think about it. 
here's some things to give you some tips to start out with. And this is how you would tweak it because everyone has to, it's all trial and error. If you're able to get access through a medical program and see a physician, hopefully that physician is about education and can start you out that way. If you're not, and you're just kind of on your own, you're just out there, then the resources on the web are vast. Probably the most well-known is Leafly, leafly leafly.com. There's a lot of great information on Leafly. So that'd probably be the first place I'd direct someone to. But even so, it's going to be overwhelming on the website. And it's kind of hard to think, where do you even start at this? So I don't know how much you want to get into that, but that's how it at least start off. This is an area probably where there's lots of anecdotal experience. People will try it and say, oh, I had pain relief or it helped me in this way or that way. As a medical professional, what's the state of the science? Like what kind of science and research is behind the use of medical marijuana for a lot of the disease situations you mentioned? Coming out of medical school, probably around the time I came out, which was 2002, there was this push probably leading in the years leading up to that for the concept of evidence-based medicine. They kind of drilled that in our head, evidence-based medicine, going into oncology, especially in radiation oncology, everything is off of a clinical trial. I mean, we do all of our treatments based upon, quote, this clinical trial and that outcome. And this improvement in recurrence rate, improvement in overall survival, things like that. We know it from the randomized clinical trials, multi-institution randomized clinical trials. All those things are backed by federal subsidies, federal dollars. And in the U.S., with it being federally illegal, that essentially means there has been zero dollars that have been used to do these randomized clinical trials for evidence-based medicine. So as you've stated, evidence just doesn't exist coming out of the U.S. Probably the leaders are out of Israel. They've done some studies, mostly single institution. There's case studies out there, but the way that we really practice medicine today at a high standard, that data is not there. It won't be there until it gets rescheduled because right now it's schedule one in the U.S., which is no medical use, (laughs) no medical use, the same as like heroin and cocaine and some other things that are scheduled one. And so no one believes that to be true, but it needs to be rescheduled and a few different things need to happen so that those dollars can flow in the right place up to start accumulating that. So all we have are the anecdotal experiences for the most part. And yet the governments or the state governments, I guess, allow the use of cannabis for medical purposes. So that's kind of an interesting dichotomy there. But wait, this is very similar to, don't take this the wrong way, Joel, but a lot of things that happen in the States these days where you've got, I don't know, one side pro, one side against. I've seen a lot of evidence of this. Like you talk about evidence-based medicine. Do you see, in your opinion, a federal decision being made on the use of cannabis medicinally? Well, I think something can happen. The question is what? What's going to happen? Because there's the whole rescheduling of it, which is probably the appropriate thing to do at this point. It definitely shouldn't be a Schedule One drug. So there's the rescheduling aspect of it. And then there's, if it gets rescheduled, then potentially could the research dollars flow in? Could the insurance companies now pay for it? Could those things all happen? Versus are they just going to decriminalize it, which is a whole other thing where someone has certain amounts. They don't go to prison for five years or more, things of that nature. It's just kind of like a misdemeanor thing and you just walk away. So it just kind of depends. There's a lot of different ways they can go with it, I guess, but something has to happen and it should have happened by now and something needs to happen. What have you seen in terms of the 
offtake, if you will, of medical marijuana use. Obviously, it's the kind of thing that must build slowly over time as people become aware of it and are looking for options, whether it's chronic pain or something. So in your clinic, what have you seen? How has the offtake grown over the years? It's grown. As the program grows in Ohio, so does the kind of, I guess, adoption of it grows. And it's a lot of word of mouth. I hear that a lot. What's interesting is the pain. So we compare this to like the opioid epidemic. And so there's an issue now with the pain clinics where it's gotten to such a point. I mean, these guys, they just can't prescribe anything. And so they're stuck with these patients that need their help. And they, years ago, maybe Percocet controlled everything. They've been on Percocet for three years, but they can't do that anymore. They're too afraid to do that or docs winding up in prison. And so that's become a big issue to where I'm seeing now some of the ones that are more on the front lines, more accepting are just like, look, this is about the most I can do. I know you're still having issues. I've heard of some patients with this medical marijuana thing. Why don't you go over here and check it out? That's where people start finding a lot of relief. Not only will their pain be more controlled, but some of them actually have a nice handful of patients that have been like, I haven't been on any opiates for two years now since I started seeing you. And so it can be that extreme. I never want to set it up for someone for that to be the expectation, but that happens. I see them every day where it's just they're like they're off all their prescription payments. Now, I know you mentioned that there's obviously not a lot of research from the standpoint of double-blind, placebo-controlled studies and things like that, but... Oh, but, that's your master's of genetics coming out, isn't it? Well, <laughs> yeah, a little bit, yeah. a little bit. That was a long time ago. But I guess the question is, what's known... Do you know why and how it works? Because obviously it seems to have a number of different benefits. It's pain management, maybe dealing with anxiety or sleep. What's known about how does it work or why does it work? Let me try and go back because I haven't given one of these lectures in a while. I used to talk about the science a little bit, but (laughs) essentially there's an endocannabinoid system. So your body has natural receptors to cannabinoids. The cannabinoids that we talk about the most out in common language, CBD, THC, okay, just naturally occurring parts of the plant. So the plants are phytocannabinoids. And so when you ingest the cannabis plant, your body already has receptors in different parts of the body. And so they can interact. And depending on what area they're interacting in, there's an effect. And so for the most part, you're talking about pain, you're talking about help with tremors and Parkinson's and talking about anxiety relief. It's like a neuromodulation. So like a neuromodulator, it can help bring those levels down depending on what it is or help bring those levels up. When you're talking about some of the other things with arthritis and pain with that and things of that nature, there's some anti-inflammatory effects there too. So it can help with that. It just kind of depends on what area of the body, but that's the gist of it is your body already has these receptors that the plant can actually impact. As a previous scientist, it's nice to hear some of the details around that. Joel, Greg did his master's in genetics, and what was the title of oh, wow. your thesis, Greg? I don't want to go into yes, it. Yes, tell uh, me the title. No. Come on, no, no. tell me or I'm uh, going to look it up. I can't remember. I don't think anyone's interested Just in, fruit, say in fruit flies. Just say it. What was the title? You <laughs> well, know, let's, let's move on. Greg, I'm not uh, letting you get off of this. Come on, tell the listeners what your thesis was. Joel, <laughs> you obviously believe in continuing education and lifelong learning. And so I was wondering, what was it that took you to Future Proof Conference in Huntington Beach, which was largely an investment conference? I guess I've always had kind of an entrepreneurial spirit. So when I graduated from residency, my uncle had passed when I was in residency and he had apartment buildings. I think he had probably 10 units over like three buildings. And 
So my aunt had those. And so I approached her when I graduated and asked her, could I buy at least two of the buildings, which were two four unit buildings. And even before that, let me back up because when I was in residency, I had a actual junior resident. He was about two years under me, but in life experience, he was age-wise, like he had me by about six or seven years. He had been an investment banker prior before he came to residency. And so somehow we got on the topic of investing. He got off into all of his Berkshire Hathaway investments and this and that. And that's the only thing you ever need to buy is Berkshire Hathaway, this, that, and the other. And then did you ever read Rich Dad Poor Dad? I'm like, what is this Rich Dad Poor Dad? What are you talking about? And so picked that book up based upon him and it was like a light bulb went off. And I'm just like, why in the world? I feel like at a ninth grade reading level, freshman in high school, this should have been mandatory to read. And so why is it not part of the curriculum? And so that's what really prompted me to approach my aunt when I graduated say, hey, can I buy these off you? And it just worked out to where she did sell them to me. And then I was kind of off to the races where I kind of, first thing I did was renovate them and try to get a higher level renter in there. And then I'd go to auctions, sheriff's auction, pick up more properties and renovate them and get more and my dad is helping me throughout this whole time. So he's retired. He needs something to do. So he's just kind of helping kind of manage projects and kind of help with the maintenance of the landscape and all that stuff. So I even was out of state for three of those years, three and a half of those years. And my dad would kind of hold it down. And I was kind of like the capital and talking to the contractors and kind of going to the architect meetings and stuff like that. So we wound up getting this thing up to about 20 units over like six properties, I think. And it was like a full-time job for my dad. He's supposed to be retired and it's like a full-time job. So then we run into the pandemic. And so we had a tenant that kind of tested us in terms of, man, we've been doing this 11, 12 years, had no evictions, nothing close. And here I am talking to a lawyer about trying to evict someone. And then here comes this moratorium on evictions, which just scared the crap out of me. I'm just like, whoa, like, how can you actually, we're putting out this money, we're doing this work, we're taking care of these tenants, and they don't have to pay us rent. Like, it's crazy. So that was like the last sign where it's like, we got to get out. And so timing wound up being right. And I wound up getting out of everything. I think it was early last year, just sold everything that we had a tenant. And then, so leading up to that, you're at home, you can't go anywhere, you're watching YouTube stumble across i think it started with earn your leisure podcast those guys were at the future proof but it started with those guys i think they had josh brown on as a guest I'm like i like the way this guy josh talks i'm watching all this on youtube and then next you know his cnbc clips start popping up and then i find the compound compounding friends animal spirits all that stuff starts popping up next thing you know i'm watching these guys like three four times a week and it's like okay I really need to dive into this. So anytime they recommend a book, I'd buy it. Or anytime they'd bring up anything, I'd try to look further into it. And I just kind of switched gears into like trying to get out of the real estate thing, trying to get a hold of my investments, figure out what I'm going to do with this money and try to manage it myself. I'm kind of a self-starter, I guess. And so I always wanted to do that. And that's what led me kind of to future proof because they mentioned it on the podcast and everyone come. And so I'm like, all right, I'll come out there. It seems like it's for advisors, but it also, I can see a couple of times they mentioned everybody's welcome. So <laughs> I'm like, all right, I'll come out there. And it worked out because yes, there were advisor directed sessions, which I kind of navigated out of. And there were other more general sessions where I could actually follow and understand. And you know, I told someone to me, a couple of people asked me, what are your goals from this kind of, what are your goals? I'm like, I just want to be here and soak it in. It's like an immersion to me, like this whole financial literacy, it literally, I like that word literacy because it's like learning another language. And so 
being around it, I can kind of follow like things that are going on. And the more you're around it, the more you hear, the more you understand. And so that was it for me. Just wanted to be there. I went out there with three books and walked right up to all three authors and got them signed. And I thought that was pretty amazing. And so it was that was Morgan Housel, mm-hmm. Daniel Crosby, or not Daniel Crosby? Who are the no, other two? Nick Majuli. Yeah. Nick Majuli. Absolutely love his book. And then Ben Carlson. So I walked up to him with his book. That's cool. Well, listen, in your medical world, you have your own language that I struggle with. Greg, I don't know about you, but when somebody throws medical terms at me, like my stepmother is actually a retired nurse and she'll throw terms at me and I'll be like, I don't know what the heck you're talking about. But then I can throw terms back at her that she won't know. So <laughs> like, what's the EBITDA to annual kager on that? And she would look at me like, what are you talking about? It's important to have a good understanding of all kinds of things. And so that's kind of cool that you went outside of your area of comfort, your area of background, and are learning something new. So it's your own form of due diligence. Correct. That's exactly right. Well, and I'm glad you mentioned financial literacy because that's something that we recommend for everybody, whether you're a do-it-yourselfer or whether you're somebody that comes to people like us for advice and assistance, regardless of how active or passive you want to be in the whole investment process, we do want people to understand. Everybody should understand what they own and why they own it and things like that. And we believe strongly that financial literacy is such a key part of that. So I appreciate you bringing that up. Actually, Greg, a good example of that is just our example earlier. Like we can walk into a cannabis store in Calgary and I don't know anything. No. The same as an investor can walk into a market and they don't know anything and they wouldn't know where to start. Yeah, I like the literacy aspect. It's something we spend a great deal of time on. So that's cool. What else we got for Joel, Greg? Maybe before we finish up and go into our speed round, what would your advice be to people that think whether they've been suffering from chronic pain for a long time or anxiety or sleep issues, how do they get started? Obviously, we're in a different jurisdiction here, being in Calgary, Alberta, but pain is pain. And so how do people get started on this journey of finding out if this is a solution for them? First thing, just especially coming from an oncology background, and when you talk about pain, you always don't want to miss something that could be more severe or something that has a different sort of fix to it. You don't want to just treat symptoms. And so one of the biggest things that I do as part of my job, and I'm glad the state makes it this way, is I'm almost like a notary. I make sure that you've been properly evaluated and worked up, and we know what the diagnosis is before we talk about, all right, how are we going to manage the symptoms of it? And so I think just making sure you've exhausted traditional medicine would be ideal. Now, I see a ton of people outside the healthcare system. It's like I'm on the front lines, and they, for whatever their reason is, and you guys don't have it with your medical system, it's not as bad, but you just have people who are just outside the system. And so it becomes concerning because you want to make sure that everything has been appropriately worked up and managed and that there's not some real fix for it. Someone's knee is bone on bone. They're 65 years old and they're just managing pain. It's like, you need a knee replacement. (laughs) You'll be a totally brand new person if you could just get your knee replaced. So when you don't want someone coming with back pain, oh, it's getting worse over the past year or whatever. I just want to eaten ibuprofen, it turns out they had a freaking tumor in their back or something. They need oncology care. So that becomes the biggest thing, just making sure you kind of had a proper evaluation. If it's for something like that, you know what the diagnosis is. So we're at the point of, all right, this is the diagnosis. Now we're just kind of managing these symptoms. Then the way I approach things is right product, right time of day. 
So if it's the daytime and you're someone who's working and you're out there in the world and you've got things to do, you probably should be looking at those higher CBD products, a higher CBD ratio. The products can come in ratios, like there's gummies out there that may be 10 CBD to one THC. And so those are things that can kind of help out without messing with your head. And then if you're more like at home, end of the day, something before bed to help you sleep, then in my opinion, that's when you kind of start focusing on things that are going to be more THC, more indica strains, indicas are sedating strains and things like that. So I approach it from a what time of day is it? What kind of product should we be looking at? Well, I'm glad you mentioned that because particularly here in Canada where cannabis is legal for everyone, that you could well be in a situation where people are self-medicating without actually having done the due diligence of ensuring that they've gone through the medical system and ensure there's not a bigger problem that they need to deal with. So that's an excellent point, as I say, particularly for us Canadians. Definitely. Eh? Hey, hey, <laughs> <Definitely>. hey. <laughs> hey, okay, speaking of which, we got to end with a speed round here, Greg. We're taking up too much of his time today, but we usually do like a Canadian-based speed round for our U.S. guests. We do. Are you up for a little fun speed round to close it out? Sure. <laughs> yeah, that's Okay, good. I got the first question for you. This one's always my favorite. Greg and I both grew up in a province called Saskatchewan. It's just east of Alberta. Greg grew up in Regina, Saskatchewan. I grew up in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. Can you please spell Saskatchewan? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and oh if you can't, that's gosh. okay. <laughs> it's gonna, I was going to chop it up, man. <laughs> I don't know what the problem is. We can spell Ohio. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. S-A-S. <laughs> K-E- oh, stop, T- stop, stop, stop. <laughs> uh, so close. <laughs> you had the S-A-S-K, right? You were off, off to a great start yeah. there. Yeah, yeah but right. it's a tough one. It's a tough one. Greg, what else we got? In Canada, we wear toques. Do you know what a toque is? No. No, there we go. Well wait, wait, traveled, wait. I haven't heard of that I'll one. tell you what. It's We wear toques primarily in winter. No, like Ohio no. gets winter, they right? Do. They yeah. Do. do you ever wear like a wool beanie with a pom-pom on the top or... Do you ever wear something like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's called a toque. That's a toque. A toboggan. No, no, no. You ride a toboggan down a hill. You wear a toque on your head. (laughs) (laughs) If you walked around town with a toboggan on your head, people might look at you funny. (laughs) Okay, let's give them some easier ones, Greg. Just the normal. What do you think? Like, what do you do for fun when you're not working? Travel. And if it's just a regular day or whatever, I'm into comedy i love comedy love stand-up comedy watching not doing right okay (laughs) (laughs) working out stuff like that right on outside of the investing or finance books or any other books you're reading right now that we should know about no it's all finance stuff it's all finance he's on a mission right on That's good. Well, we should probably wrap it up there. So, hey, thanks for being such a good sport, Joel. It was a pleasure meeting you in Huntington Beach. And I'm really glad that you agreed to come on this show and sort of tackle an area that is really not that well understood by the masses, I would say. So we really appreciate you doing that today. Thanks for coming on the show, Joel. My pleasure, guys. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. All right. Till next time. Snoop Dogg. You know I'm with the D R E. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know who's back up in 
thank you for listening to the Free Lunch Podcast hosted by the CM Group at CIBC Wood Gundy. To subscribe to this podcast to get more realistic insight on investing or to connect with one of our talented partners, please head on over to markets-work.com. We'll see you next time on the Free Lunch Podcast. The CIBC logo and CIBC Private Wealth Management are registered trademarks of CIBC. If you are currently a CIBC Wood Gundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Private Wealth Management consists of services provided by CIBC and certain of its subsidiaries, including CIBC Wood Gundy, a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc. CIBC Private Wealth Management is a registered trademark of CIBC used under license. Wood Gundy is a registered trademark of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Colin Andrews and Greg Kraminski are investment advisors with CIBC Wood Gundy. This information, including any opinion, is based on various sources believed to be reliable, but its accuracy cannot be guaranteed and is subject to change. CIBC and CIBC World Markets, Inc., their affiliates, directors, officers, and employees may buy, sell, or hold a position in securities of a company mentioned herein, its affiliates or subsidiaries, and may also perform financial advisory services, investment banking or other services for, or have lending or other credit relationships with the same. CIBC World Markets, Inc. and its representatives will receive sales commissions and or a spread between bid and ask prices if you purchase, sell, or hold the securities referred to above. CIBC World Markets, Inc., 2022.